Father, we come to your presence this morning, your house, which is called by your name. We are your people who bear your name. We come to you this morning, we humble ourselves before you. We ask you, Father, too, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, whatever be the word, O oh Lord, even if it is, if it seems to be hard or tough, enable us to believe that it is a loving Father who is speaking to us so that one day we can be, we can share in His glory and be partakers of His holiness. Father, this morning, therefore, we surrender ourselves before Thee. We thank You, Father, for all the prayers, praise reports, O Lord. In our, in our church, so many people, young people, we are using. Father, Srikar in U.S. and Eric in Jamshedpur, O Lord. Surrendered vessels, anoint them, I pray. Continue to use them, O Lord, even as Eric stands today, this morning, and also Pastor Reuben, touch him. Touch all of us. We need you, O Lord. We need you. We are just your servants, Lord. Give us. Enable us to be zealous for your word. Enable us to be zealous for your glory. Enable us to decrease and that you would increase in our lives. That your name and your word will be exalted in our lives, in our families, and in our church. Therefore, O Father, bless this word. Anoint it. Anoint me and anoint each one of us that we may be able to hear your voice and believe and obey. Thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Even as uh, the church observes uh, the period of Lent, uh, it's very important that we that we don't uh, despise that. It's it's a tradition, yes, but it's good that once in a while that we remember constantly, of course. But it's good that as a corporate body that we remember uh, Jesus and His work on the cross. It's very important that we that we, that we know, never take that for granted in our lives, and that is important. So even as a church, the four founding fathers they have they have ordained this time. Let us meditate upon that. Generally, the church tradition has been that if you uh, if you attend any Good Friday service, you will have the seven last words of Jesus being spoken from every pulpit. Virtually every pulpit around the world, every mainline denomination, they speak the seven last words of Jesus and preachers preach from that. Powerful words. But if you look at the gospel according to Luke, before Jesus goes to the cross, and even as he's carrying his cross, there's one man who comes and helps him and who's rather forced to help him, Simeon, who helps him carry the cross. And even as he's carrying the cross, before the seven last words from the cross, even as he's carrying, he's observing a bunch of people who are lamenting. And most of them are daughters of Jerusalem. They're lamenting and they're weeping and they're crying for him. I mean, these are not seven last words of Jesus from the cross. This is even as he's carrying the cross and he looks at the daughters of Jerusalem and he says, you can find that in um, Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, verse 27, if I'm right. 
he looks at them and he says, daughters of Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Weep for you and for your children. And then he makes a very powerful statement. He says, blessed are the wombs which are barren. That they will not see the coming days. And that that is very prophetic. And you know what happened uh, within 70 years to Jerusalem. It's interesting that the Jewish people in their, in the hardness of their heart, the religious spirit so blinded, they speak a curse upon themselves. They say, let this curse be upon us and upon our children. I remember Arthur Katz in one of his uh, conferences among the Jewish believers, he mentioned this. I mean, very surreal. It's, it's very bold for a man to speak to the Jewish people and tell him, you know what? We brought it upon ourselves when we spoke a curse upon us and upon our children. That's very significant, very, very significant. And therefore I titled through this message uh, as uh, Saving the Next Generation. Uh, even as I was growing up in my walk with the Lord of late, recently, I mean, I see the need that this generation has to know God. And I keep telling people, I'm, when, I'm, when it comes to age, I'm the closest to you. I've been there, done that, most of you, I mean, at least I know I'm familiar with the technology, I don't play so many games, but I know what captivates this generation. They're captivated by images, they're captivated by media, they're captivated by so many, there's so many distractions that easily take away their attention. It's so, their attention power in terms of attention is very, very meager. Um, The most distracted generation ever. And therefore there's a challenge for me, I believe, for this generation that I, I, I feel the need. That, that, that necessarily doesn't mean that I have a genuine burden. I, I, I ask God for that burden so that I can, I can speak to my generation. Speak to them. And one of the verses that God gave me when I was meditating upon his word. That what is the mission purpose for my life? And I was reading a book by Warren Wearsby and... This was this one was just stood out and it spoke to my heart. It says, this is 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 2. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you'll see that there are four generations that are mentioned over here. There is a generation of Paul who is the pioneer, who is the founding pastor. And then there is Timothy who is the next generation of, of leadership. And he's telling Timothy, train the next generation, Timothy. Who will be able to teach the next generation? The four generations that I mentioned. I, I, I believe that this is this is what God spoke to me. And He said, "You know what, Vijay? That's your task. What you heard being spoken to you and taught to you over so many years, being on a mentorship in this church primarily, and through many servants of God who whom I listen to online, and most of them, prim, whom I listen to most of the most of the servants of God whom I listen to are." old people, at least 70 plus. The reason why I want to listen to them is because those people have are completing their race and they have maintained a, a consistent testimony through their lives and I want to listen to them. I want to gain from them. Sometimes the sermons may not be very articulate and very uh, entertaining but their very presence is enough. I mean, I, yesterday, I was, last night I was listening to Richard Wumbran. message was so simple. I mean, hardly any deep revelation, but his very presence was enough for me. I said, boy, look at this man. 
His, his presence itself is a message. The very fact that he's sitting and preaching, that's, that's enough. I don't want to listen to them. I want to listen to them. I want to learn from them. And I want, I want God to use me for this generation. I'm that's, that's been my prayer. And it's been my prayer for all you young people. No? And I, when I see young people, I see potential. And particularly this church is, you see that most of them who are serving, uh, first generation servants of God are below the age of 40. Okay. I'm including myself. So, so, so it's the young generation who has been called to, to minister. And therefore I believe that every one of you has a, has a call in this church. And therefore you need to understand when you come to GDC, you don't come without a purpose. Sam and I were discussing, we we're saying, and Sam was saying, Pastor, nobody comes to GDC and just goes like that. They are trained and to be sent into the mission field. And I believe that with all of my heart. And even if we are a small church, we are an effective church. And therefore, my challenge always is to challenge the next generation through my own life first. That, I'm, that my life itself will not be a stumbling block for you. And I pray to God because I am prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your coats above. It's so easy for us to drift in this generation. And therefore, that is what I wanted to, that's my burden this morning. And I wanted to position this message in the context of what we've been studying in the book of Ruth. Before I go there, just by way of review, in one verse, that's what we studied last time, Genesis chapter 4 verse 17, I'm sorry, James chapter 4 verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. In the context of this, if I failed to impact my generation through my life, through my testimony, and through the word that I share. I have failed. I have sinned. And that challenge is for any, every one of, of you over here. I mean, some of you may, be, may go on to become engineers, you may be going to do your B.Tech or MBBS or what have you, but never forget in those training years, even as you study, do the best that you can and never forget that one day that God will call you. I'm sure every one of you here, every one of you, I can see faces already, you know, I know, I know who's, who has a calling of God over their lives. I know it. I can sense it. You're brilliant in your mind. And I say, Lord, Lord, use that brilliance, oh Lord, for your glory. Okay. Don't waste it. So that is my, been my, my, my burden. And therefore I want to position this, this sermon in that context. And of course, in the light of what we've been studying from the book of Ruth. But before I do that, there's a few verses which I want to share. Which are very poignant, very sad. It's this, this is found in Isaiah chapter 39 verses 5 to 8. This is essentially, let me give you the context. Hezekiah was struck with a, with a, with a disease. He was, called, he was going to be, he was going to die. Then he prays and the Lord gives him an extension. He heals him. And then when he heals him, people around the world know that Hezekiah is healed. So they sent, uh, uh, a company up from Babylon. To just go and flatter him. You see? Vanity is the biggest sin. And then Hezekiah falls for it, shows them, those people who come from Babylon, everything. The temple, the palace, and everything. And they go and they leave. They come, they're doing a tick off. No, they're all spies. Okay, this one goes, ah, I know where that, that is going to go. That is going to go to Nebuchadnezzar's chamber. Okay, fine. Ah, that. He is doing all the check up there. And then Isaiah comes, okay, to him. And this is what I want to look, read, let's read from. 
verse 5 onwards, Isaiah 39. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and what your fathers have accumulated until this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And they shall take away some of your sons who will descend from you, whom you will beget. And they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. So Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord which you have spoken is good. For he said, at least there will be peace and truth in my days. Boy, what a selfish man. Sad state of affairs when I listen, when I hear that I said, Lord, may I never be like that. May I never be like that. That I say, I don't care for the next generation. Judges chapter 2, verses 6 to 7. 6 to, six to 10 actually, uh, 6, 7 and 10, verse 10. And when Joshua had dismissed the people, this is Joshua for giving them the final message. And he says, the children, of, uh, the children of Israel went each to his own inheritance to possess the land. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done for Israel. And I'm telling you honestly, our memory when it comes to the blessings of God in our life are very, very feeble. We soon forget that is our flesh. Count your blessings, name them one by one and it will be shown to you how much the Lord has done. Count your blessings. Remember, remember, bring to remembrance. Don't forget the former things. That's a constant exhortation through the Bible. Because we in our flesh, we are so ungrateful. We so easily forget the benefits that we have, we have incurred from others. And may it never be generation. May it never be young people that we will be a generation who are thankless. Because that's the reason why it says in, in Romans chapter 2, 1, it says, All they, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, neither were thankful, and therefore they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish heart was darkened. The thinking became futile, the heart became darkened, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into images made us corruptible man. So quick! You see, you forget, you forget so easily because we are a generation who have this entitlement mentality. I deserve it. And then what happens? Verse 10, when all the generation that had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. There was another generation which rose. They did not know the Lord, nor the work that God had done for Israel. That is how, if, if, I, if I were to chronologically arrange the verses in, in Judges, that is how it starts. A generation rising up which did not know the Lord, nor the works that God had done for Israel. They did not know Him. And how does it end? It ends, Judges chapter 21, verse 25, in those days. That is how it ends. It starts with a generation which rose up, which did not know the God of their fathers, nor the works that the God has done for Israel, because they didn't care to mentor the next generation. And what happens in the end, you'll find in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. You know, 
I wanted to get that video, but uh, I couldn't get a nice video. But how many of you know this game called Jenga? How many of you have heard it? Jenga, Jenga. How many of you have heard it? Any, 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 anybody would? Ah, yeah. Yes. Thank you. I thought Pastor would not know it. Okay. So what? Jenga is like this. Okay. Jenga is like a blo- block of cuboids, wooden cuboids. Okay. It's rectangular shaped wooden cuboids, and then you arrange them and make a building. Quite a tall building. Then what you do is, the game is this, that you take off one block and put it on top. Take off another block and put it on top. As many blocks as you can until it falls off. You know, when I look at that game, I was I, I didn't know that game until Abigail was given that gift. Okay, see, University of Abigail teaches me a lot of things, okay. So, so I, I started playing that game and I, and I realized, I said, you know what? The church is something like this. What we want to do is we want to take off one truth. Ha! Ah, the building is still there. No problem. Take off another truth. The building is there. Take off another truth. Take off another truth. Take off another truth. Take off another truth. And it is precariously dangling like a pendulum. Ah! Just let's wait here, okay? One, oof, it's gone. I believe that's 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 a a symbol of of a Christian and especially a church where truths are slowly being compromised one by one, one by one, one by one, one by one, and a time comes when it is precariously balancing like a temp, like a pendulum. I mean, it has a semblance of godliness, but there's no power. That's what happens, right? That's what it says in Timothy. He says, in the last days, perilous times will come. Peoples will be lovers of, them, of themselves than lovers of God. They will have a form of godliness where there's no power inside. They're gone. All truths are compromised. They're just dangling and one pressure is enough and they're gone. Wait, that's, 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 that's a fact. That's a fact of in many churches. You should see the, the, the battle Pastors and worship leaders have to ensure some element of orthodoxy in every church. I mean, I don't want to mention name of the church. I know, I know a person very close to me who keeps telling me, you know, Vijay, every time we have this committee meeting, the young people want lights, they want this kind of songs, and we have to constantly keep battling against them. Constantly keep, and one day they're, 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 that's going to happen. They'll give in to pressure. You see? Let's let it not be that, like that, you know? Truth is important. That's the reason why Paul tells Timothy, he says, be careful how you behave yourself in the house of God, for it is the pillar and the bulwark of truth. It is the ground of truth. And if that is gone, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's the story of Israel. It starts off with a generation which has grown up, which has not known the God of his forefathers. And... It's going to end with no king in Israel, everybody doing that which was right in his own eyes. And in this context is what we hear the story of Ruth. So let's read Ruth 1, verse 1 onwards. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. And you know what happened during the days of judges. There was famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife, And his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his son was Naomi. 
And the names of his two sons were Mahlon and Shilion. You have a message there. Right there. You can just stop and meditate on this. Elimelech, God is my king. Naomi, pleasant. So God is my king, marries Naomi. And they have two children. Mahlon means sick or invalid. Shilion means pine or wasting away. Think about it, no? Think about it. You have Elimelech, Naomi and their home. And they're having, they're getting ready for dinner. Sick, can you please come and take your seat? Invalid, oh you pine away, you waste fellow, please can you come and sit? These are their names, by the way. These are their names. And you would not find them anywhere in the Bible. What has happened? What has happened? If you look at the story of Ruth, it is a classic case of a, of a Jew. He says, Paul says, right? Your circumcision is without value if you do not obey the law. And in fact, if you do not obey the law, your circumcision is equal to uncircumcision. And he says, if the Gentile, or rather the uncircumcised, if he obeys the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? And, if that fellow, who is uncircumcised, he is regarded as circumcised, will he not judge you on the day of judgment? You who have the written code, and you disobey the law? It's really powerful, no? And it's, you'll see that, no? Naomi, a classic case of a circumcised Jew, rejected. And then comes a Gentile bride who gets married to Boaz. And then through the marriage of Boaz and the Gentile bride, the redemption of Naomi starts. That's exactly what is going to happen in the last days. A Gentile is going to be, God is going to take a Gentile bride for himself, a Gentile and a Jew, of course, a combination of those two, of those two, because he says, in the, neither circumcision matters nor uncircumcision matters, it's a new creation. He's going to take the Gentile bride for himself and then he's going to redeem Israel through the church. That's a classic case. So you have Elimelech, you have Naomi, and then you have Two children, Mahlon and Shilion. Now think about it, no? Will anybody in their right mind name their children like that? I don't think they really named them that way. It is possibly the Spirit of God giving us a, a, a dimension into their lives as to what, what is going on over there. Nobody calls, I mean, the worst of fathers will not call their children sick, invalid, wasting away. They will not call them. Those are not, those are not the adjectives that you'll use. What it tells, what does it tell me? A little bit of history. Ruth 1, sorry. Ruth 1 verse 2. They were Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. What does Ephrathah mean? A place of fruitfulness. There is Judah, which means praise. Bethlehem, which means house of bread. And Ephrathah, which means fruitfulness. And then you have a Mahalon, 
and Ashilion wasting away and sick. When did it start? Just do a word search on Ephrathah. For the furry, when, when is it used for the very first time in the Bible? You'll, you'll get a clue as to what's going on. Genesis chapter 35 verses 16 to 18. And they journeyed from Bethel. This is Jacob taking his journey from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrathah or Ephrath, Ephrath, Rachel went into labor and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at the hardest, the midwife said to her, Do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying. She was dying. She was dying. She called his name Benoni, which means son of my sorrow. She was dying. Now, let me tell you something. Just because she was in labor and she was having this intense pain, it's not because she was having intense pain and she was dying, she called him Benoni. I'll tell you why. Counter example. Counter example is Jesus himself dying on the cross. Intense pain and suffering. What are the last words? Father, forgive them. Today you will be with me in paradise. Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. I thirst. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. It is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. Do you see any bitterness in his voice? Absolutely not. It does not mean just because you're dying and you're in pain that you can pronounce a curse onto the next generation. There's something which is there inside your heart which is coming out. That is what I want to look at. Very important. Very, very important. We need to save the next generation. Are they precious in your sight? When you look at your children, when you, when I look at the church, when I look at those people, are they precious in our sight? Are they precious in our sight? Thank God Jacob intervened. But what if Jacob did not intervene? What would have happened to him? Jesus gives, I want to give you two other counter examples of people who are dying. And who spoke something. In Hebrews chapter 11 verses 21 to 22. This is Jacob. By faith, Jacob when he was dying. What did he do? He blessed. No, no curses coming out. You see that? He blessed. Each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped. He blessed. He blessed each of the sons of Joseph. And he worshipped leaning on the top of a staff. Amazing. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. He spoke into the lives of the children of Israel. He said, you know what? You, you people, few generations from now, you'll be out of this place. Then take my bones from this place. He pronounced a blessing. Both of them, even as they were dying, they pronounced. What does it tell me? It tells me something very important, a principle that Jesus himself taught. Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 43 to 45. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit. Nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. Verse 45. Sorry. A man out of the, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. Evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil for out of the abundance of the heart your mouth speaks let me tell you my my dear brothers and sisters in young parents okay example me all right when i come to the pulpit i have prepared my sermon 
In other words, I prepared a sermon which will control my tongue. I'm not going to, hopefully, I might sometimes do it. My tongue is absolutely under control. My mind and my tongue is controlled and I'm speaking the word of God. That is for maybe an hour from now. Alright? So brace up your seat belts. Okay? Hour from now I'm going to speak the word of God. And then, and then I go out. I'm not going to live my life as a sermon. I'm not going to be a sermon, right? Like, I'm not going to take Bible study at, at, in my car. I'm not going to be, take Bible study when I'm, when I'm giving my children a shower. What comes out of my mouth is a spillover of what is in my heart. You understand what I'm saying? What is there? So what happens when there is, when I am not being controlled, there's no outward control. What comes out of my mouth at that time is actually what my heart is full of. You understand what I'm saying? That is the reason why children are a very, very, very interesting test as to what is actually in your heart. Your irritation. Give them a shower. Abigail, why did you do that? Your nutcase. And it's coming out. You see, it's a spillover. You're speaking into their lives. I'm just giving you an example. Why are you, why, why are you doing that? You idiot. Teachers get irritated with us, with the students, and he said, you good for nothing fellow. You speak like that. That's exactly what happened to Elimelech and Naomi. You see, famine brings pressure, and pressure reveals your heart, and exactly what you'll speak to the lives of your children. It's a spillover from your heart. You pronounce curses into their lives, and life and death is in the power of your tongue. And many of your parents are guilty of that. One time or the other, even I am guilty. Because we pronounce those things. It is out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. When pressure is there upon our lives, we speak it into their lives. And no wonder what happens to them. And we wonder what is what is wrong. You know why? You have done it and you have never repented of your sin. You have not forsaken that. You have spoken to the lives of your children. And that's exactly what is happening to them. It's a revealing. It's a, so that is the reason why famine is a test of our of, our, of what is there in our hearts. That's the reason why Jesus said, God said to the children of Israel, I'm going to take you through the wilderness and I'm going to cause you to hunger. Whenever you are hungry, what happens? Murmuring comes. That is in your heart, you say. That is exactly what is in your heart. Your heart is full of murmuring and complaining. Complaints, complaints, complaints. Paul gives a very interesting analysis of what, how this happens. He uses anatomy. We have a doctor in the making over here? Yeah. You can correct me. Oh, you have doctors too. This is Romans chapter 3 verses 13 to 14. He gives you an analysis as to how this vocal tract is a conduit for, for speaking those things which are in your heart. Look at what he says. The throat is an open tomb. Where is your throat? Throat. Tongues. With your tongues you have sp- spoken what? Deceit. The poison of asps is under your lips. You see, you have throat, you have tongue, you have lips, you have mouth. That is what is in your heart. And then what happens? When, you see, you have throat, which is an open grave. That means there is death inside. Tongues, you use it for deceit. Poison of asps is under your lips. It means you 
You just bite, sting, you know, sting, like that. And then, what happens as a result? What is your mouth made of? Mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. You know what it tells me? Moab is not going to change the situation, which you already have in Bethlehem. (laughs) Moab is only going to reveal what you already had. You had, you were already Mara in Bethlehem. That is how I know. How do I know? Nobody calls their children sick, invalid, pioneer, waster, unless you have bitterness in your heart. No. Question I want to ask parents. Parents, to be parents, what do you speak? What do you speak? There's some dads and I see Shravan and Lisa waiting for their first baby. What do you speak? Ask your heart and say, Lord, you're going to entrust a soul into my hand. That is the reason why preaching ministry is so, 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 so very critical. Use by your preaching that says he's going to, he says God is going to manifest his glory through the foolishness of preaching. He's going to save souls through the foolishness of preaching. And therefore, if the heart of a shepherd is not truly a heart of shepherd, how can he pronounce true blessings on the congregation? How can he? Then what happens? That's the result. Ruth. Gospel according to Ruth. It is gospel according to Ruth. One verses three and four. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband died. And she was left and her two sons. And now they took wives of women of Moab. You see, what happens? You cannot, you see, you already, you need to understand something. Children are very sensitive to the hypocrisy of their parents. You cannot fool them. You cannot. You cannot. Even if they are as young as two years old, they are very, very sensitive to the hypocrisy of their parents. And I'm telling you something, brothers and sisters. See, what what we cannot do is not in our hands. Meaning, already there are so many stumbling blocks. You don't become a stumbling block. It doesn't mean that they're always perfect parents. Meaning, even if you're righteous and you really lived a godly life and you always were a blessing to your children, it does not mean that they will always turn out to be good because that way God is a perfect parent and many of his children who bear his name do not believe. They they believe they behave out of character. They do. But that does not mean that God is a bad father, no. But I'm we're talking about us. And he calls us evil fathers. You know when, you know why, when he calls us evil fathers, he says, you evil fathers, when you give good gifts, can you imagine? When you give good gifts, you are evil. And when you give bad gifts, what are you? When you speak curses on your children, what are you? When you become a stumbling block for your children, what are you? That is the reason why he says, even if a little fellow, if you cause them to stumble, it is better for that person to have a milestone around his neck and die. That's how serious God is. Hmm. So how do we train the next generation? How do we do it? Before I go there, Romans chapter 2 verse 25 to 27, your circumcision, your Judaism is not going to, is not going to help you. 
In fact, look at this verse. I wanted to read verse 27. It's very powerful. And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, even with your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. That is the reason why Jesus said, on that day, many will be coming from east and west and north and south, and they will be taking seat with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and the children of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. Very important to understand. Why? He is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Neither circumcision is outward and physical. He is a Jew who is one inwardly. Circumcision is a matter of heart whose praise is not from men. It is from God. It is a matter of the heart by the spirit. That is the reason why you need to understand, you might be going to church regularly, you can be a very outwardly law-abiding citizen as far as the church is concerned. I'm not talking about the law outside, I'm talking about the law according to the church. You go to sun, you go to church on Sunday, you give your tithes, you give your offerings. Outwardly, externally, you may be obeying the law, but you know what? The Spirit of God, of God is the one which authenticates your life. It's the anointing over your life which authenticates you. And that is the reason why Jesus, uh, Paul says, Word, Minus spirit is equal to letter which kills. Word minus spirit is equal to letter which kills and many, many so-called believers are word minus spirit and their letters kill their children. You understand what I'm saying? So how do we, how do we train the next generation? How do we do it? How do we model a life before them? And how do we save them? How do we save them? Is what... I'm asking God genuinely. I'm asking God. I'm saying, Lord, let this be the burden of my heart. Truly, you know. Every servant of God has got one central theme. One central message. His life is being prepared for one message. And I... That's exactly what happened to John the Baptist. He was prepared for 30 years for one message. What is that message? Repent. That's it. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. For 30 years he's been prepared for one central message. And I'm asking God, Lord, what is that central message for my life? And it's getting clearer and clearer and clearer even as I seek the Lord. I find it in Deuteronomy and I'm going to teach us as I'm teaching myself too, because I'm telling you, honestly, when I read the word of God, it convicts me. It, it really, really discourages me. And I say, Lord, where am I, Lord? Where am I? Six, six principles, which I want to share with you this morning. And man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And just because you are under teaching, authentic teaching, don't get too familiar and lose your calling. Don't, don't, don't do that. And I say that with a humble heart because I love you. Because I love you. Don't do that. It's very important because you, you, some of you have been there with us for nine, ten years and you've been listening to, you all, all that you've been listening to authentic sermons. Do you know that? I mean, at least from pastor, if not from me. That I can say. <laughs> you know that? You have not heard any bad sermon per se. You don't know. What it is to value. You, you can ask my fathers and my, my parents who come from mainland denominations how, how they honor the word of God. Don't get too familiar, ch- children. Don't get too familiar. Don't value it. And I'm sure one day when you go out, you'll know what it is to be under authentic teaching. 
when the word of God is going to become, so we're going to become so, so, so scarce. A famine of the word of God is coming. It's coming. It's not because non-availability of the famine of the word of God, because of a lack of genuine vessels who can preach the word of God. No. That is going to be there. That is going to be lacking. Mm. So six lessons, which I want to share with you, which I learned. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 25. Six lessons God is going to teach all of us so that we can be an example to the next generation and save them. Let's read from verse 20 to 25. First, we'll read through those verses and we'll exposit it one verse at a time. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 20 to 25. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? (laughs) They're going to ask. They are going to ask. As young as, I don't know. I'm not going to put any lower limit. Except when they become, when they're babies, when they can't speak. If they are able to speak from money or onwards, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. They'll ask you questions about their disobedience. Why should I obey? With their disobedience. I, 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 I think I told you several times, right? I, I remember that very interesting phase in my life when Abigail was the only daughter, right? And we told her, don't go to the tap over there, okay? She was six months old. Less than six months old. Don't go to the tap over there. Okay? It's leaking. Don't play with it. So we sealed up the tap and she used to have a walker. Don't go, Abigail. No, no going there. No. And then one day Jason and I have a having dinner together. And then Abigail is on a walker. She watches her ch- parents busy talking. They're acting as if you're busy talking. And then slowly she walks behind the dining table and she's going towards the, to the, to the sink. And I tell Justin, Justin, act, just act dumb, okay? Just see, act as if nothing is happening. And she goes there, slowly, 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 slowly. She's about to touch the tap. She's six months old. She stops. She looks at mama, papa. I said, no. Why should I not disobey you, papa? Six months old. Six months. That is the reason why our children are birthed in sin, shaped in iniquity. Okay? They are not angels. I mean, we can call them angels, but angels are not like that. They are terrifying actually. We have our doctrines mixed up. See, then, then, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out. Of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed us signs and wonders and great and grievous, great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. We saw it. Spectacular. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. Next verse. And the Lord commanded us to to do all these statutes to fear the Lord our God for our good always that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us. Other translations will say it will be our righteousness. What does it tell me? Are you saved by acts of righteousness? No, 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 no. You have already been bought out of Egypt without any works of the law. That's a whole different topic. That is because my mind is thinking Romans now. Okay, no problem. Verse 25. And it will be righteous for us if you are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. What is he talking about? He says, all, 
You see that? All means is a singular or plural. Everybody? Come on, come on, come on. You're in, if you're in English class, all is singular or plural? Plural. Thank you. All this. Read that. Commandment singular or plural? Mm-hmm. That is the reason why you know what he says. Jesus says, there are doctrines of demons. But there is only one authentic doctrine. There is no plural. My doctrine is of the father. The others teach doctrines of demons. If you do all this, you will fulfill the commandment. What is the commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You will fulfill the commandment. That. So what are those lessons? Let's glean them one by one as Ruth did in Boaz's field. One grain at a time. In fact, sometimes half a grain at a time. So we'll call Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 21. Let's look at it as 21a. It's got two parts. 21a. Then you shall say to your son, we were slaves in Egypt. So how do I impact the next generation? Lessons to be learned. Lessons that I should learn from this verse. Lesson number one. Be honest and sincere with your children. What were we? Slaves. We were not zamindars. We were not big rich people. That's, that's exactly what Abraham, Abraham was, he came out of a rich country. But you know how he lived? He said, you know what? Builder and maker is God. I want to look at that. I was a slave. I was a slave in Egypt. Be honest with your children. Sincere with your children. If you made a mistake, say, Papa is sinful. Oh yeah, you should. I was a slave to sin. You should tell them. What what was I? I was a slave in Egypt. I could not save myself even if I wanted to. Loved my sin. Would you say that? To your children? Can you say it? I mean, this is, this takes a lot of humility. I'm telling you, this is the word of God. Word of God has got a power to work in those who believe. And you'll say, brother, it is not logical. Will you not fall in the eyes of your children when you're honest about your struggles and your weaknesses? And I'll tell you something. Bible, you don't have to be logical. You have to be biblical. What should you be? Biblical. Word of God has got power to those who believe, to work in those who believe. I was a slave to sin. I loved my sin. <laughs> I loved the world and I didn't want to come out of it. I was only crying because of the beatings of the taskmasters. Else I I wouldn't have grown. I loved it. God loves sincere people. I'm telling you something, your children will look at your sincerity. Sincerity. And they will know. Papa is genuine. Papa has got many weaknesses but he's got genuine. He's genuine, he's honest, he's sincere. Papa sins sometimes for sure according to the word of God. But you know what? He's genuine. He's honest. He doesn't act before me. You need to be sincere, children. Look at Timothy. Okay, I want to look at one interesting passage from Timothy. Okay, Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 14 to 15. But as for you, you continue in what you have learned and I firmly believe knowing from whom you learned it. Whom did Timothy learn from? 
Oh yes, everybody says Paul. That is the reason why I only quoted half the verse. Wait. Timothy learned from Paul. Yes, he learned a lot from Paul. But this is not the context in which Paul is talking about. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And look at this next verse. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with sacred writings. Childhood? Did Paul teach him when he was a child? No. No, 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 no. No. Acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Meaning, just because you learn the sacred scriptures, it doesn't get you ready to be saved. You should be convicted of your sin and you should believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you have to call on him and then you will be saved. That's what happened to you. But who taught you? Who taught you? Who taught you? It's easy to teach the word of God. But let me tell you a characteristic of the person who taught this. Who taught? Everybody knows? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's see who taught. Lesson number one. Sorry, this is First Timothy, Second Timothy chapter 1 verse 5. I am reminded of your, what kind of faith? What should you be? What did I say? Be sincere. I am reminded of your sincere faith. I look at your faith. I said, you know what? This guy is a sincere guy. And he tells them. He tells the Philippians church. He says, you know what? I have so many co-workers of all the co-workers. This fellow Timothy boy. Genuine. He's a gem of a guy. He's got issues. He's got problems. But let me tell you something. His heart is gold. His heart is gold. His heart is gold. You know what? Nobody naturally cares for your good just as Timothy does. In other words, if I have sent Timothy, I have sent myself. That is how he authenticates Timothy. I just wanted to share a very funny thing that happened. I'm not, I'm not boasting, okay? I was uh, at the pastor's conference. Pastors keep coming. And then, you know, we have to register their name. By this time, many pastors, they've become kind of cute, okay? They don't throw tantrums. They become really nice and cute and very nice. Some of them are real, really genuine. So then I was just coming, uh, we were sitting and then uh, one pastor comes and he looks at me and he says, Pastor, I was praying for the meeting. And he was genuine, okay? Even I was as I was praying, I was praying about pastor and you. I was like, okay, thank you. When, yeah. But the Lord gave me a verse. I said, what about? I don't know what he's going to say now. Your pastor is Apostle Paul. And you are a Timothy. I said, oh. I mean, I've never seen anybody say that to me. I said, boy, I want to be that. <laughs> I said, amen to that. I don't know if you said that from a sincere heart, but amen to it. I am reminded of your sincere faith. How did this guy get a sincere faith? A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother. Your grandmother had sincere faith. She was not, she didn't, she was not a perfect woman. She had sincere faith. Lois, she had sincere faith. Your mother Eunice, she had sincere faith. And I now see that faith in you. You know what? Timothy didn't have to be worked upon so much like Paul, like other. Paul had to work with other believers. Timothy heard he accepted, followed. Timothy, can you imagine? Okay, this guy is a is a young man. 
Alright, by the time he was called. And Paul looks at him and he says, okay, now you are coming to ministry, I want you to do something. Uh, you need to get circumcised. What? I mean, think about it, no? You need to get circumcised? Please, no. I, I mean, I, I just want to, I want to, <laughs> again, I, I want to recreate that situation. Paul is having an interview with Timothy. Timothy, you know what, we're going to this place, those fellows will create a problem. They will have all kinds of questions about you. I want you to do something very difficult. It should have been done when you were eight days old, when you would not be, then you don't feel the pain so much, but you're now a young man, you need to get circumcised. Paul, come off it now, okay? I mean, you are a great apostle and all, but this is too much. No questions asked. Now think about it, no? Paul was one guy who was against circumcising people. And he said, you know, if you are circumcised, your faith is waste. You are already in your sins. He preached so much against circumcision. Paul, you are a hypocrite man. You preach so much against circumcision and you are asking me to get circumcised? Come off it. No questions asked. No questions asked. No questions asked. It teaches me a lesson, brothers. How your parents have taught you when you are young is going to go a long distance if those people are called into ministry. A humble and a meek and a gentle and a quiet spirit among men. Do you find that? Can you imagine? Can you imagine? You can get, you cannot get Zipporah to circumcise your son, but this guy surrendered completely. It doesn't matter. Paul, I trust you, man. I trust you. Even your weaknesses, your mistakes, I trust you. I am with you. I am with you. I am sold out to God. And I see that in you. Hmm. That's sincere faith. It tells me something very important. What it tells me is this. You need to have sincere parents and you need to also have sincere godly parents. Spiritual parents, that is. They may not be perfect, but they are sincere. But they are sincere. But they are sincere. That is lesson number one. Don't be a hypocrite before your children. Judges chapter 17. Verse 1. See, it's insincere people who actually cost the faith of the children. Especially mothers. Mothers. You will be saved, you will be saved through childbearing. It's got so many connotations. That verse. And one of the verses, one of the, one of the interpretations I believe is that God has given mothers a specific place to deposit faith into the hearts of their children. When they're young. It's, it's insincere mothers who will destroy the faith of their children. And I want to look at one example of that insincere mother. This is Judges chapter 17. Verse 1. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, the 1100 shekels of silver that were taken from you. I mean, this woman is old, okay? She saved and saved and saved and saved and she put it in a box, in that box and box and box and she saved and she saved and she saved. Now it's become 1100 shekels. It's huge money. Huge, huge money. One day all was stolen. And when she was stolen, she said, curse it be that fellow who stole it. <laughs> 
you should see the heart of this mother, okay? Very, very interesting heart she's got. And on and, and on which she put a curse. Oh, obviously, Micah heard that curse. And he, and he said, oh boy, my mother cursed me. So he was convicted and he goes to his mother and he says, Mother, you cursed that fellow who stole your money. I was the one who stole it. Oh, here it is. Here it is. I took it. And the mother said, may, be, may you be blessed of the Lord. <laughs> she cursed. And she blessed. Now that's what James says. Out of the same spring, bitter and pure. How is it coming? It tells me what? It tells me that this lady was not interested. She was not interested in the spiritual growth. She was not interested in spiritual things. I'll tell you how I know it. Let's read on. Okay, I'm not going to go ahead of myself. So when he had returned the 11 chickens of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated that money to the Lord. Oh, 1100 shekels of silver have been dedicated to the Lord. How many shekels of silver? 1100 shekels of silver, wholly dedicated to the Lord. This much amount of silver, wholly dedicated to the Lord. 100% of it will go to the Lord. Right? That's what it means. So if I have given, if I have dedicated 1100 shekels of silver to the Lord, how much should I give to the Lord? 1100 shekels of silver. That math is very simple. No, very, very straightforward mathematics. Ah. I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son. Oh my, for my son. To make a carved image and a molded image. Now therefore, I will return it to you. This guy says, Mom, my mother is so, 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 so genuine. She's very spiritual. What did she do? And he returned the silver to his mother. What did the mother say? I'm going to return all the money to you. Then his mother took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to the silversmith. What did she do to the 900? Pocket me chala gaya. How many of it was dedicated to the Lord? 1100. How much is it given? 200. And to make what? A carved image. Molded image. How? I mean, I, I, I remember, no? Pastor Garu, Pastor Garu, Pastor Garu, come Pastor Garu, this this child of mine is troubling me so much. Pray over his life that he will be changed. When he changes Pastor Garu, 100% to the Lord, Pastor Garu. So, okay, fine. In the name of Jesus, be healed. After a few days, that fellow is not not even there in the church. Not there in the church. And I've seen it. I've seen it. No, I've seen it. People coming for deliverance meetings. They come and Ask the pastor, they say, Pastor, please pray for my daughter. Please pray for my daughter. Please pray for my daughter. For my son, for my daughter. For my son, for my daughter. And then, pastor prays. They're delivered. And they are going to be wholly dedicated to the Lord. They're gone. They're gone. No hole. There's a big hole in the church after they're gone. And what do they give? They give a gift to the pastor. Thank you, pastor. 200 shekels of silver. This fellow is mine. That's the reason why, you know what Paul says? They exchange the glory of God. For an image. What kind of a God exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made as corruptible man in the likeness of corruptible man, birds and beasts and creeping things. 
For this reason, God gave them up. Insincere mothers. No wonder you have spiritual progeny like Micah. Even though his word, his name is Micah. What does Micah mean? Do a homework. I don't know. Okay. That's what we do in classes, right? The tough things is for the student. The easy things for the professor. <laughs> how, do I, how, how do I solve this? Try it. It's homework. Okay. It's an open book exam. <laughs> Whatever. Okay. And they were in the house of Micah all the days. And then what happens to this guy? And the man Micah had a shrine. Made an effort. Household idols. He takes a little bit of the world. Little bit of God. And he's happy. And what is the characteristic of this generation? In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everybody did that which was right in his own eyes. Insincere parents, parents give birth to insincere spiritual progeny. I'll tell you honestly, if you are not 100% sold out for the Lord, don't ask Lord, let my children be 100% sold out for the Lord. Don't ask. Don't ask. That's a wrong thing. To ask even. In fact, people don't ask. They're very smart. Lord, bless him. Make him engineer, doctor, etc., etc., etc. You see? They're not so Lord. They're insincere people. Are we insincere? Parents. If we are insincere brothers, we are risking the spiritual future of the next generation. We are risking them. Risking it. That is the reason why Paul will say, you who teach others, don't you teach yourself? Amazing! You should see the analysis of Apostle Paul. You know what? If you read Romans, entire Bible will make sense. You who teach others, don't you teach yourself? How do I teach myself? How do I not teach myself, Paul? Do you preach, you who preach against stealing, do you steal? Uh, I don't know. You who says that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? I don't know. And then he says something very powerful. He says, you who abhor idols, do you rob temples? Because of you who boast in the law, you actually dishonor God by breaking the law. Because of you, the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles. You know, that's exactly what is happening over here. She's robbing. She abhors idols, but she's robbing temples. Robbing temples. And she's Jewish. And she says, I've wholly dedicated to the, to the Lord. L-O-R-D in capitals, meaning what? I have dedicated it to Yahweh. Advocated to him. Lesson one. Lesson two, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse twenty to twenty-five. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. This is twenty-one B, okay? What does it mean? Lesson two. The Lord brought us out. It was impossible for us to save ourselves. Impossible. No works of the law can save us, brothers. Your, your church attendance will not save you. Your giving of tithes will not save you. Your fasting and prayer during, especially Lent, will not save you. Will not save you. God had mercy upon us. 
First Peter chapter 1 verse 3, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. You know what you should tell your children? You know what? My dear children, you are born now, but unless you are born again, you will not enter into the kingdom of God, even if you are born in a Christian family. You cannot. You will not. I experienced second birth, and unless you experience second birth, I mean, I, I was, I was driving on this flyover near paradise. You show the hospitals. You've seen that, uh, that hoarding? Happy rebirth day. <laughs> For all heart patients, happy rebirth day. And I said, what, you know what? That is, that is my language over there. That is biblical language. You have to have a rebirth of your heart. A transplantation has to happen. For you and for anyone, it doesn't matter if you're, if you're born in a Christian family, unless you're born again of the spirit, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Just because you have a father who's, who's, who's holy doesn't mean that you are holy automatically. No. You need to be born again. You need to be convicted of your sin. Are we teaching that to our children? That they need to be convicted of their sin. Every time when we make a mistake, do we have the consciousness that we have sinned against God? We teach them that. Even if it's as small as lying, white lie. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 to 5. But God being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. By grace. By grace and grace alone. Grace and grace alone, my dear brothers and sisters. What what it tells me is this. You need to tell your children, you know what, you need to have a one-on-one relationship with God. You need to have that. God has to speak to you. Has to speak to you. Directly. Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 to 19. So if you want that to be done, what shall we do? We should be merciful, right? Because God is mercy, right? Because he was rich in mercy. And therefore, I understand his mercy. And I was saved. So what should I do? In order for my children to understand mercy, what should I do? Colossians chapter 3 verses 18 to 19. Actually, verse till 20 actually. Wives, submit to your own husbands. As it is fitting in the Lord, husband, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. It's a very interesting commandment to the husband. Don't be bitter toward your wife. This is not there in Ephesians. It's only there in Colossians. Do not be bitter toward your wife. Meaning, meaning be gentle. Don't be, other translations will say, don't be harsh toward your wife. Be a man of mercy in your home. Be a man of mercy. Be a man of mercy. When, when people, your children see you, I'm telling you honestly, it's a very, very difficult thing. For us in this generation, especially with me, I mean, it's tough. Mukkumida Kopam is there all the time. Just go off in different tangents. We don't even care. Our children are watching how we speak to our wives. How we speak to our wives. Verse 20, he says, children, obey your parents. When you see this, children, when you see your, your father being kind to your mother, you see in the context, obey your parents. Obey your parents. For it is well-pleasing to the Lord. She says, children, obey your who? Parents. And then, fathers. He doesn't say, parents. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. 
Be a merciful father. Be a merciful father. Now don't children don't go and use your, use this as a, as an arm against your father. Your father, it does not mean that when he is provoking, not provoking, only something, when even fathers are very, very firm, a little or two year old will throw a tantrum. Okay? If it's two year old. If it's a teenager, he will slam the door. Okay? Two year old will throw a tantrum. Teenager will slam a door. In the middle, you will have all the spectrum. Okay? From, from, uh, non from two year olds to teenagers, you have the entire spectrum. But That does not mean the father is not merciful and kind. No. No, no, no. It does not mean that when you are firm, you are not being gentle. No, no, no. On the contrary, you continue to be firm in spite of the fact that your child is throwing a tantrum. You stand up for the truth. You will be a man of your word. You will be firm in your convictions. You are not going to compromise on that. When you are firm in your convictions, and even if your children go astray, they will know something about the father. The father will say, I am firm in my conviction, okay? I want to live the way I want to live, okay? But you will not do it under my roof. Give me my money. Take your money, go. He takes the money and he goes. He wastes all the money in all kinds of spending and one day he comes back to his senses and he remembers something about his father. You know what he remembers about his father? My father, in my father's house, even the servants. You know what? You see, look at what he says. My father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare. You know what he says? My father is a kind man. He's a kind man. He's very firm. He will not compromise on truth. Even he says, no movie, no movie. When he says, no going out and coming back at such and such a time, no coming back after that time, he's firm on his convictions. But he's a kind man. Even the servants, you should see how my father treats servants. You see, children are watching that. See, you see, that is the reason why he's talking about a father. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let them see your gentleness, your 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 uh, magnanimity, your benevolence in your household. The way you treat your servants, let them see it. Let them see it, fathers. Let them see it. And then they, they will know father. My, my father is a tough man. But you know what? He is a gentle, he is a kind man. You should see the way he treats the servants, you know. You see? And that's how he comes back. That is how he comes back home. That is how strange children will come back. That is how they are born again. That is how this fellow was born again. He was dead and he was alive. He saw the kindness of his father. Romans chapter 2 verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering not knowing the goodness of God has led you to repentance. He came back to his senses. You know how he came back to his senses? The goodness of his father he remembered. He said, oh my father, my father. My father. My father. He remember my father? He said, my father. That is the reason why you see the cry of every generation when a spiritual leader is going away. He says, my father, my father. The chariots of Israel. 
My father. Where are the fathers who are kind in this generation? Where are the fathers who are kind in this generation? Who are sold out to God, who will not compromise on truth, but yet they are kind, even to their servants. Have they become stumbling blocks? Lesson number 3, Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 22. And the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. You know what he saw, he showed them, you know what he showed them, you should, you know what you should tell your children, you should, you should live this life, you should model this life before them. Because for us, he didn't show us signs and wonders and all these great things. No, there was no spectacular signs and wonders. But your, you yourself is a sign and a wonder. That's what he says to Isaiah. You know what Isaiah says? He says, me and the children. He doesn't even, he doesn't even say me and my wife. No, me. And the children that God has given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel. I am a sign for my children. They see me, they see God. They see me and my wife, they see God. Young couples, is that your conviction? That when they see you, they see God. They see God. Do we live and behave in a way that this world is under judgment? That's what it means. I've seen signs and wonders on where? On? Against? Egypt? And against? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. Do we live in a, and behave in a way that this world is under judgment? What are our convictions? Parents, this message is to, for parents and also for children and for all of us who are a part of the next generation. It's, it's, it's a lesson for the, the Sunday school teachers. Who, who, are, who have been entrusted souls, it's for all of us who are in mentorship ministry. Primarily, directly, if not indirectly. And all of us who are indirectly involved. Young and old. John's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 8 and 11. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. In other words, you, you, do you have a prayer life as a couple that you are fighting the powers of darkness because it says when two of you agree, agree, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words, as a couple, are you fighting the powers of darkness? Are you behaving in a way that your life shows that Satan is a defeated foe? Question. That is the reason why he says, be careful, be sober-minded, be vigilant. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling like a roaring lion seeking somebody to devour. But resist him firm in your faith. How firm is your faith? Resist him firm in your faith, even if you're suffering. Resist him firm in your faith, even if you're suffering, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. Experiencing. Do you? Do you live like that? Do you know the purpose of your marriage is to fight powers of darkness if it's truly a godly marriage? If two have become one, indeed, and two believers, 
And that is, that is the reason why God has brought you together that you should build up a godly offspring and that you should fight powers of darkness, especially the lives of your children. The world is under judgment. The ruler of this world is, is under judgment. In fact, he is a defeated foe. And don't, I'm not scared of him. Do I live a life which actually scares the power of darkness? Or am I scared by the power of darkness? Am I insecure? And do I look people in the eye when I'm walking? Am I walking with assurance of my salvation in my life? So that my, my children, when they see me, they see a guy who's authentic. He's not, a, he's not scared about the future. It says in Proverbs chapter 30, Proverbs chapter 31 about this virtuous woman. You know what it says? She laughs at her future. She laughs. She's so secure in God. She's immovable. You see, one, one parent, how he destroys the next generation. Genesis chapter 19 verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law. This is when judgment is pronounced over Sodom and Gomorrah. Who were pledged to marry his daughters. They were fiancés. Fiancés. Yeah. He said, hurry and get out of this place because the Lord is about to destroy the city. <laughs> but the sons-in-law laughed at him. What are you talking about, man? You Lord come off it. Now, where did you get this kind of a doctor and your mind is messed up? Tagacho. Padako. In other words, you're out of your mind. You're drunk. You have a hangover. Sleep. That's what pilgrims, wife and children tell him. Sleep. When we talk about, when we talk about godly things, do our children laugh at us? Because they see the compromise in their children, in their parents. They say, hurry, papa, papa. Please, okay. Anybody can say this, but you don't say it, okay? I know you. I know you. I know you, papa. I know you. And in fact, I also know that you are a very lustful fellow. You are vexed by the culture of this place. You see the girl, you walk like this. You see the girl, you walk like this. You see the girl, you like it, but you walk like this because you can't do it. You are a righteous man. But I know it. When the circumstances are very nice and conducive, we can sleep with you. We can sleep with you. No problem. You are a lustful man. We've seen you. We've seen you how you behave with the opposite sex. Fathers, are we conscious about that? Do, do our children see that fathers are fighting for purity in their minds? Do they see that? Father is a man who has got his conviction so straight that he doesn't want to look at another woman. He fights it all the days of his life and he asks God, Lord, give me a pure heart. Lord, give me a pure heart, Lord. Let me have pure eyes. Let not, let not my eyes be full of adultery. Because my my children can see me. My children can see me, Lord. My children can see me. Acts chapter 2, verse 40 to 41. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself. Save yourself from this untoward generation and those who accepted the message. Those who said, yes, we agree with you, brother. This world is not a judgment. We agree with you. And therefore you don't want to have anything with the world. We are going to go into the waters of baptism. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. 
That's what Paul says. But far it be from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Do I live like that? For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. I am a new creation in this, in, 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 the, in, 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 in God's kingdom. And all these things don't have any effect. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 23. And he brought us out from here, the next lesson, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. What is the next lesson? Lesson number four. Is our spiritual growth evident to our children or are we aimless? It's a tough word, brothers and sisters, for me. I'm honestly telling, and I read this a lot of you, and I shared this, I'm struggling here. I want to change it. My wife called me in the night, and I said, you know what, it's tough. Just pray for me. Spiritual growth evident to our children? Or are we aimless? Do our children see that this guy's got a spiritual purpose in his life? Man, this guy's sold out to God. He's going somewhere. He's going somewhere. I don't understand it completely. But boy, this is an, this is an authentic man. Look at his life. Look at the decisions that he's taking. He's risking. I mean, he's, he's intelligent for sure. No intelligent fellow will take decisions like this. But there's something. If he's doing that, there's something about his life. Something. First Timothy chapter 4 verse 15. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save yourself and those who hear you. That is lesson number 4. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. What, hap- what happens instead to the children of Israel wandering aimlessly in the desert for 38 years? There's no aim in that. They're not interested in spiritual things. Happy, I'm out of salvation. I'm not going to hell. That's enough for me. I can have heaven. I can have all this in the world. And heaven too when I die. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. What happened for 40 years? Aimless. Going around in circles and circles and circles and circles and circles. You know what? You should either be a bad example or a good example. You're, you're, you're still teaching. I mean, you're, through your aimless life, you're teaching your children, don't be like this fellow. Don't be like this fellow. Have some purpose. Don't be like your papa. That's what... 40 years in the wilderness, the children of Israel, they are the next generation learned. We should not be like our parents. Therefore, as I was provoked with this generation, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. And they lost 40 years because of their parents. Romans chapter 2 verses 6 to 7. He will render to everyone according to his works. Who? God. To those who by patience and well-doing seek for glory. Whose glory? 
Not God's glory, your glory. Seek for honor. Seek for immortality. And the pathetic state of so many believers who do not seek anything spiritual. They don't have any aim spiritual in their lives. Seek for glory. Seek for honor. Seek for immortality. What will he give? He will give eternal life. Why? Because if you sow in the flesh, you will reap what? Corruption. But if you sow in the spirit, what will you, what will you reap? Eternal life. You're spiritually minded. You're going somewhere. You're seeking for glory. Seeking for honor. First Corinthians chapter 9 verse 24 to 26. Do you not know that all that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run that you will win the prize. That's you know that is the reason why you know when we play TT, we always we tell each other, you know what? When we are playing TT, play to win. Don't play to lose fat. A lot of people when they go to gym, they don't they want to lose fat. That is their primary aim. And if your primary aim is only to lose fat. You will not be interested. It's a monotonous thing. Play the game to win. In the process, you will lose fat. For sure. Because you have to bend and do this and that. It will make you do it. Make you agile. Make you fit. And that is the reason why when we play any game, I said, Baba, here we are not doing time pass, okay? That brother is <laughs> looking at me the first table tennis match. We were fighting against each other. He said, oh shoot. I said, yeah, I want to play with this fellow. He's playing to win. I want to play with this fellow. I want to be a part of a team who's going somewhere. They want to win. Why should I be a part of a team who wants to lose? Ah, it doesn't matter. We have to lose only fat. It's okay. Play to win. Develop some spiritual muscle that way. You're going somewhere. I want to follow a team which is winning. I know who wants to be a part of the team which is losing. <laughs> who wants? Hey, it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we lost fat, brother. That's what many people will say. Aimless. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. You know why? Because he's playing to win. He's got an aim. He's not here because just because he's here. Okay, I came. I got saved. Let's just go with the flow. Gumpulo Govindam. And then one day, before we just enter into heaven. Thank you, Jesus. Enough. He jividan ke chalo. I'll tell you something, you know what? There'll be so much of regret in eternity for such such kind of people. They will be saved, but there are no crowns for them. No crowns! Lesson 4. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 24. Last two lessons, okay? Just give me 10 minutes. And the Lord God commanded us to do all these statutes. To fear the Lord our God. For our good always. That he might preserve us alive as we are this day. Lesson 5. Do our children see that we have reverence and fear and fear God and that God is really holy? Do our, see, do our children see that in our lives? Do they see that? Otherwise you will compromise the next generation. I'm telling you honestly. We'll see one counter example. First Samuel chapter 2 verse 12. Now the sons of Eli were, the, were sons of Belial. They did not know the Lord. How did they become sons of Belial? I'll tell you. If someone sins against a man, this is what Eli is doing to his children, okay? These fellows have slept with women. They've done 
an incredible offense. Paul says, throw that fellow out of the church. And this Eli comes and says, oh, my dear sons, oh, yo, 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 you committed sexual immorality. Gee, it is a bad sin. If man sins against a man, God will mediate for him. If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? You need to understand, you know, uh, I don't want to get into the details of this. If you come, if you have come to the pastor's conference, there are three kinds of sin. The sin that we ignorantly commit. I don't know if you heard that message. Sins that we willfully commit and most of the sins we willfully commit are against individuals. That's what he's talking about. Willful sin. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father for it was the will of the Lord to put them to death. I don't know what happens. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. Those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. Meaning, he's telling, you know what, Eli? You did not glorify me before your children. You glorified your children before me. What happens? Now, Phineas' wife, Eli's daughter-in-law, the wife of Phineas was pregnant. The next generation, okay? About to give birth. And when she heard the news that the Ark of the Covenant was captured, and her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed and gave birth, for her pains came upon her. And about the time of her birth, the woman attending her said to her, Do not be afraid, for you have born a son. But she did not answer or pay attention. And she named the child Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. Ichabod. Gone. Next generation is gone. You glorify man. You honor me. You doxes on me. Those who honor me, I will honor. Otherwise, you don't esteem the glory of God. I'm not going to be there. Gone. Next generation gone. Final lesson. And it will be our righteousness. If you are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God. As he has commanded us. Do our children see that we love God and value his people? How do I know this is what he's trying to say? We heard that last, last Sunday's message. James 1 verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If our brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, Go in peace and be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Galatians 5.6 For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working itself through love. That is righteousness. Functionally. Our righteousness. If you truly care for our brother. Because you are obeying the commandment. And what is the commandment? Love your Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Do we value God and value his people? His people first. Are they precious to us? 
Revelation 19 verse 8. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Our righteousness. Our righteousness. You see that I value God and I value his people. I'll value his people. Church is a blast for me. Blast for me. I love church. I love God's people. I love to be among them. I love to help them. I love to nurture them. I love to mentor them. I love to give myself to them. And the children see it. Papa is serious. Mama is serious. There's a half an hour cartoon movie of Richard Wombrun. Everybody knows the story of Richard Wombrun, but many many people don't know the story of his son, Mikhail Wombrun. How he endured persecution when he was seven years old in spite of the fact that he didn't see his parents for such a long time. You know why? He saw the authentic life of his parents and he was sold out for God. Mekai. Umran. See that. See that. Go to YouTube and type Richard Wumran's story and observe how little Mikai takes decisions because he sees his father on fire for God and he sees his mother who would not compromise. Fearless for God and for his people. And then you have a Mekhaibumbran on fire for God. You want to have a set of people in this generation who are on fire for God? The onus is upon us, parents. is upon us. And on all of you, all of you are mentors, whether you like it or not, especially if you are, if you're young teenage girls, young children are watching your life. Young teenage boys, little boys are watching your life. Don't become a stumbling block for them. I want to be like that sister. I want to be like her. Our mother should say, look at that sister, how she dresses. You should dress like that. When you grow up, okay? Look at that. Look at her. She's looking so beautiful, so glorious. Because you as a, as a father will see the, the, the hidden person of the heart. And you say, you know what? That is beautiful. That is beautiful. Six lessons, brothers. And this is not possible for us in this generation unless God helps us. And we fall on our face before God and say, Lord, we can't do this, Lord. We can't do this. This is too much for us. Even to bring up a small family in God's ways and to mentor and build godly children is a challenge. You think it's easy? No way. You know why? It demands from you, not from them. Somebody said, children make godly parents. Not godly parents make godly children. It's children which make godly parents. It's children which make parents holy. Not the other way. Children are a gift from God to straighten you up. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you. Lord, let this be the burden of our hearts, we pray, this generation that we will, we will as elders, as parents, as, 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 as Sunday school teachers, as youth group leaders, as mentors, as young girls, teenage girls, young men, teenage men. Father, we will be conscious about the fact that we are leading and ex- by example, even if it's positive or negative. Somebody is watching us. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will, in this generation, walk with that consciousness, O Lord. You said, O Lord, 
that if any man knows what is the good that he is supposed to do and if he does not do it, it is sin. Give us the grace that we will not be complacent about the next generation. We'll be serious about it, O oh Lord. Grant us that seriousness, we pray. As parents, we will walk and model Christ in our lives and that our children will see us, Lord. And we will not be stumbling blocks, but we will be, O oh Lord, pillars for them. Even if they fall fall away, they will come back to us because they know Papa and Mama are straight and they're, and they're kind and they're gentle. They're uncompromising, but they are gentle, they're kind, and they're merciful. Grant us grace to that and we pray. Grant GTC to be a church which has got a burden like that. We thank you, we praise you, we give you glory, we give you honor, we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with each one of us through this week. In Jesus' name, amen.